Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in for worship this morning. We are so glad you are with us today. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Bethany. I'm the worship director here, and it's our privilege and our honor to be with you. Thanks for coming out on this holiday weekend. And if you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, I want to remind you we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. We truly desire for you to feel connected to this community no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your story right now. Um, So we encourage you to make a profile so that we know you're with us. Participate in the chat throughout the service as you feel led. And if you would like to engage in some one-on-one prayer with one of our hosts, you can use that request prayer button. And they would be over the moon to spend a few moments with you just coming before the Lord. Again, we want you to feel connected to this community and cared for no matter where you are today. Well, I would love to invite you to stand in body or in spirit. And as you can see, the band today has chosen to stand in spirit as we go into our call to worship, which today comes from John chapter 10. It says, and these are the words of Jesus. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will find, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, that we, may have life and have it abundantly. So let's come before the Lord this morning, bringing all of ourselves, knowing that in Christ there is abundant life to be found. Let's lift our voices together. Glory, 
Good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad you are with us this morning. Today we have an opportunity to come together as the body of Christ and celebrate communion together. Celebrations are certainly something that we can uh, enjoy together. We celebrate birthdays. Uh, Kurt Herman's turning 81 today, so we celebrate his birthday. So that's something to celebrate. And then we have, uh, we celebrate weddings. Celebrate weddings. And we have uh, Caitlin and uh, the Tidrinas over here, Caitlin and uh, Nathan. And so they just got married, and so we celebrate their weddings. So celebrations are fun, aren't they? But at the same time, celebrations are also an opportunity for us to reflect on the seriousness of the event. You know, weddings, marriages take a lot of work, don't they? And so we celebrate the start of a wedding, but we also realize that marriages take work. We celebrate birthdays, but we also recognize that every day is a gift from God. And that this world is not our home, and we look forward to a heavenly home. And so with every celebration, there's an opportunity to celebrate, but it's also an opportunity to reflect. That's what we're going to be doing with communion. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate the hope that we have in Christ. At the same time, it's an opportunity to reflect on exactly what was accomplished for us on the cross by Jesus uh, when he died. 
Today we're taking ordinary elements. We're taking bread and juice, and we're celebrating communion with those. Those are ordinary elements that you find as you read throughout Scripture. In the book of Genesis, it talks about food, and it talks about bread and wine being elements that sustain life as we eat them and nourish them, our bodies. As you read through the book of Psalms, it talks about bread and juice being uh, gifts that we offer to people in terms of hospitality. And as you read through the book of Isaiah, it points to the eschatological hope, the, the end times, what's going to happen at the end as we celebrate the drinking of bread and wine together as well. So bread and wine are normal elements that, as you read throughout Scripture, appear together a lot. And as we move into the New Testament, we see that Jesus takes these ordinary elements, and he says, hey, whenever you eat these ordinary elements, stop to reflect. There's something different about this. This bread is going to be is reflective of my body, which is going to be broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you drink this cup, drink this in remembrance of the fact that my blood is going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And he takes ordinary elements and and he points us to the reality of what was accomplished for us in the cross. And so during these next few moments, we're going to invite um, you to come forward. You can take a bread and and cup and you can take those back to your seat. And we're going to celebrate communion together. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate the hope that we have in Christ, but it's also an opportunity for us to reflect on what our faith means to us as we live that out on a daily basis. And so if you have a relationship with Christ this morning, we want to invite you during this next song to come forward to take one of the elements, take them back to your seat, and and take some time to reflect on the celebration that we are doing together today, but also take some time to reflect on the hope that you have in Christ and let that be life-transforming for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you for the celebration that we have uh, that we can celebrate communion in this way. God, it is something that we look forward to. I thank you for the hope that we do have in Christ. But this is also an opportunity for us to reflect on on what it means for us personally. I pray that our lives would be ever changed and and would be a reflection to others of the hope that we have in Christ as we celebrate this day together. And I thank you for those that are with us online today as well. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be a part of the body of Christ locally here at Springbrook and for the work that you're doing in and through us. Help us to be salt and light in our community that others would come to know the hope that we have in Christ. Help us to be effective at making disciples. And God, we lift our ministry up to you. We pray that you would bless it. And we look forward to all that you have for us as we come together to celebrate this special day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can make your way to the front now as the Lord leads uh, during this next song. We'll take communion together.
Let's come before the Lord together in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the word who was at the beginning with God and who is God, who came and took on all that was broken and corrupt in our humanity and made it perfect and beautiful. We thank you that you paid it all. And Holy Spirit, I feel you impressing on me to emphasize that word all. Jesus, you didn't die on the cross and raise again to defeat some of our sin, some of our shame, some of our guilt, some of our brokenness. You defeated it all. Which means we have nothing to add to your finished work when you said to tell us die, it is finished. That wasn't just a proclamation, it was a command from the lips of the God Almighty. You said it is finished. And so there's nothing today, nothing that stands between us and your grace, nothing that stands between us and your forgiveness, nothing that stands between us and new life except our own willingness to receive it from you. Our willingness to believe that you are every bit as good and beautiful as you say that you are. So Holy Spirit, for anyone in this room who is having trouble believing that it is finished, there is no price remaining for them to pay for their brokenness, for the harm done to them or the harm that they have caused, for the areas of shame and guilt. There is nothing left to do but to surrender it all to you and to receive your grace in this moment. Holy Spirit, give us the faith to believe you. Give us the strength to receive from you this grace that you offer so freely. And we need you, Holy Spirit, this morning. We need you every moment. We need you every breath. Will you come? Make us even more aware of your presence that's already here. Open our eyes so that we can see you clearly. May our souls be enlivened and wide awake to your movement this morning, to your words, to your message, to your goodness. Open our ears to hear you and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. Because what you have for us is good. We believe this in faith. And we pray all of these things in the matchless and perfect and beautiful name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to go from this roll to this roll. Good morning, Springbrook. We are so glad, again, that you are with us today. If it's your first time with us or your first time back in a long time, there are connection cards on each of your rows, and there's an online connection card up. I think it's in the top right-hand corner for you online. We would love for you to fill out those connection cards. They are not so that we can spam you with emails and phone calls, but we want to serve you well. And part of that is getting you connected to 
what else is going on in the church, areas that might serve you, areas that you might be able to bring your own gifts and get connected to what the Lord is doing in this community. So fill that out with whatever information you feel comfortable sharing with us. And if you're online, of course, it helps us know that you're here, and we love to know who is joining us. So I encourage you to fill out that connection card sometime throughout the service. Also, coming up next Wednesday, we're only 10 days out, September 14th, we are kicking off Awana, and registration is now open for your elementary age students, so we're excited to be kicking that off. And if I remember correctly, our class sizes are limited based on the number of leaders that we have. So if the Lord is placing a stirring in your heart that Awana and working with our students as they learn and memorize the scriptures, if that's something you might be interested in, then go ahead and go to springbrook.org slash Awana and you can let us know that you might be interested in serving there. Also kicking off soon is Thrive, our student ministries, which is our 7th through 12th graders that Matt and Kyle have so diligently been caring for and serving, and so we're kicking off for the fall. And the fun thing about the kickoff on the 18th is that parents are invited as well to come and participate in the games and the hot dogs. There's going to be all kinds of fun for you and your students, so it'll be a great way for you um, to get connected to other parents and just be able to find out a little bit about what your students are going to be doing this year. And then lastly, our seniors of Springbrook are having an event on Tuesday, September 20th. And so anyone 55 plus, whether you've never come for an event or you come faithfully to every single one, we want you to feel welcome and invited out for a costume contest, trivia, music, twist contest. I actually think I need to come just to watch. That sounds awesome. And diner fair. So if you want more information on that, you can check it out on our website as well as we have an app for your phone as well that has all of the same information, easy access to contact, ask any questions that you have. Once again, we are glad that you're here. We are concluding our Abraham Faith versus Fear series this morning, and Pastor Joseph will be out in just a moment. So let's continue in worship through the preaching and receiving of the word this morning. Thanks for being here. Well, good morning to you. My name is Pastor Joseph, and I'm the pastor of pastoral care here at Springbrook, for those of you who may not know me. And I'm grateful to be here this morning. Uh, These last few weeks, Pastor Tim has been leading us through a series on the life of Abraham and the lessons about faith that Abraham learned And the things that we can learn ourselves in reference to that. Uh, He actually, the first week, chapter 12 of Genesis, 
He covered traveling from fear to faith. And then chapter 15, stepping out on the path of great promise. Chapter 16, he preached on beware of shortcuts. And that one's really important to me because I'm always looking for the easiest way. And so I put a note there after his, don't take the easy way out. So that was a reminder to me. And then chapter 17, a mark of loving distinction. And then finally last week, holding nothing back, dealing with the sacrifice of Isaac. Each one of these messages dealt with a very specific time in the life of Abraham and have something special to teach us about faith and about walking by faith. In Genesis 12, 2, the Lord says to Abraham on one of the first major encounters Abraham has with him, the Lord gives him a promise and he says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, I'm going to bless you so you can bless others, so you can be a blessing. And then he goes on and he says in verse 3 of that chapter, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage in the New Testament. It kind of sums up everything that Abraham learned and all that God had done. That's in Romans chapter 4, and we're actually going to be covering a little bit at the end of chapter 3, some of the passages in chapter 4, and then we're going to end the first two verses of chapter 5. Now, right off the bat, that's a lot of verses. So let me set you at ease. We're not going to read every single one. We're going to take selected passages from them and develop them just because for the sake of time, we wouldn't be able to cover it all. So beginning in Romans chapter 3, in verse 21, it says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith, In Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning we've all done things wrong. We've all done things we would rather people not know about. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. And he says and are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And then 3 verse 27 and 28. Where is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. What then shall we say that Abraham discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts in God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. See, God had given him a promise. And he said, you're going to have a son. Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations, 
Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written, not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, or peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Um, I actually want to say at the beginning, I want to give a special thanks to my wife. She was up real late last night making sure that everything was right with the slides. Otherwise, I'd be up here trying to talk to you guys and, and everybody would be falling asleep or whatever. So thank my wife for that. Uh, digressing just for a moment, and then we'll look at these passages of Scripture. A lot of verses there. And you're saying, that's over my head, or I don't get all of that. We're going to hit some of the highlight points, and hopefully it'll be a little bit more clear for you. But I would like to ask you, have you ever had an idea that at the time seemed like a really good idea, and then later on turned out to be really bad? So, man, this is going to be great. I just know that. It's kind of like what the president of Russia was thinking back in February. And all these months later, everybody's saying, that was a really bad idea. I had an idea once that I thought was totally great, and it turned out it wasn't, but God protected me. I was on a business trip in Florida. I worked for a corporation, and once a year, they would bring all of us, several thousand people, to the Contemporary Resort in Walt Disney World, and they would have us there for a week of training and showing us new merchandise and whining and dining us. <clears throat> so here we are. And it was Saturday evening, we were done for the day, we had eaten, and I had a lot of friends there, and uh, the Contemporary Resort has a lot of nightclubs, a lot of places to dance, a lot of bars. I wasn't into any of that, my friends were out having a good time. I walked around and did some exploring at the hotel, and about 9 o'clock I'm really kind of bored. I stopped and checked in with my friends, and I don't want to be here, so I turned around and left, and I'm thinking, what can I do? It's too early to go to bed. Well, I'm standing there in front of the hotel, and it's kind of on a hill, and down the slope, a ways off, there's this big, huge lake. Well, I'm attracted by water. I'm from the Mojave Desert in California, and to us, a lake may be like a little kid's wading pool, and we get excited about things like that. So seeing this big lake was just a natural draw for me. And I'm looking at it, and I can see a little dock that goes out into the water. You know, the boats come up, people get off and everything. And it wasn't very wide, maybe six, seven feet wide, but it had lights all the way out. So I thought, well, okay, I'll walk out there and see what's going on. Now, there's no one there, just me. And I'm walking down this hill, and it's really hot and humid and muggy. And in the desert, we don't have humidity, and I'm still having a hard time getting used to that here. But that's okay, God understands. I'm there, and I get to the bottom, and I'm soaked with sweat. And I walk out on the dock, and I get this idea 
the water is calm as glass. I can see just a little bit because it is dark, but I've got the lights above me on the dock, and I'm thinking, you know, that would be a lot of fun to go swimming in. No one around, kick my shoes off, dive in, swim around, relax, refresh, come out, go back to my hotel room, take a shower, go to bed. That sounds great. And I come to the edge, and I'm looking at the water, and I'm ready to go. And I heard something behind me. And I turn around, and I look. And um, if Frankenstein had ever made a bird, this would have been it. A bird landed about 20 feet behind me, about this tall. Now, lest you think I'm crazy, uh, later on in the week, there was a newspaper article with a picture of this bird. He was rare in the area. He'd never seen him before. Somebody saw it, took a picture. So other people saw it besides me. He had a long beak, and where it attached to his mouth, it was like wide. It must have been like that, but it seemed like it was like that. It looked like he was holding a giant knife. And my first thought is, what's he going to do with that? Now, he's ignoring me. You ever been someplace where someone's ignoring you, but they're watching you, and they're kind of meandering around? That's what he was doing. And as he's meandering around, and I'm standing there watching him, he's coming closer and closer and closer to me. And I back up to the edge of the water, and I think, you know, he can fly and he might swim. I don't like this bird. So I try to walk past him. I'm playing it cool. Everything's okay. I'm not afraid. I'm tough. And I kind of get by him, and he's looking at me as I squeeze by him. And then I walk past real easy till I'm a little ways away, and I ran back to the hotel. I look for my friends, and they go, oh, you've had too much to drink. And I said, I don't drink. And they said, you're just pulling a fast one. And they were laughing at me. And all week, hey, Joe, how's your bird doing? Well, fast forward to a few years ahead, and I'm watching the news. And there's a story about Florida, and there's a lake. And I thought, hey, I was there. And they show a picture of a family, father, mother, little girl, little boy, and they had this photograph of them. What they didn't show, they're standing there on the edge of the water. And suddenly an alligator ran out, grabbed the little boy, and ran back in. And he was gone. And I thought, good grief. And I was going to go swimming there? We don't have alligators in the desert. I don't know how to deal with alligators. At the time, it seemed like such a good idea. My sister had spent some time there. And I said, hey, do you guys have alligators out there? And she says, oh, yeah, it's Florida. You can pretty much assume any body of water is going to be full of alligators. Wow, you know, God appointed a bird to protect me. <laughs> I don't know what would, have happened, what would have happened had I got in there. I would probably ask the Lord to help me walk across the water and run as quickly as I could. But God protected me, and I didn't even realize it. It was a good idea. I was hot, I was muggy, and I thought it was a good idea. So God sent a bird to keep me out of the water. There are plenty of bad ideas in this life that at first seem to be good. And the Bible covers many of them and explains why they're bad. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.12, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It's an idea that looks good, but isn't. Now, there are three ideas that are popular in the world today that look good, and are not. And in this passage, we're going to see what Abraham learned about those ideas and why they were bad and what the truth really is. Now, right before we do that, a verse that we looked at earlier, 
It says, we maintain that a man is justified. That's a big $2 word. It means put in a place of right standing before God. Okay? We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. What is he saying? We're made right before God by faith. Not based on following the rules, which is observing the law, what it basically is. And so that brings us to our first bad idea. Bad idea number one, you've probably heard. You can be saved by being good. The idea is that people think they can be saved by being good or maybe not as good as everybody else, but if I can be good enough, I do something bad, I'll do things twice as good for the next few days and maybe God will forgive me. Even Christians sometimes believe this and it can cause a lot of confusion. When I was a young Christian, about 15, gave my heart to Christ, I'm trying to be good and I had this idea, I could be good anytime I want. I just don't want to. I like being bad. Give my heart to Jesus. Now I'm going to be good. And that lasted maybe two or three days. And I found out I hadn't changed. Furthermore, I couldn't change myself. A friend of mine was talking to me and he was talking about things we know with a, for a fact. And he says, well, it's like salvation. We know that we're saved. And I thought, you know you're saved. I don't have any such assurance. I'm still trying. And uh, I'll tell you, any minute God's getting ready to get the flesh water and let me have it because I just don't measure up. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote this passage in Romans, says that's not true. The idea that you can be saved by being good is a religious idea. It is not a biblical idea. All religions have one thing in common. They all deal with what people must do to achieve heaven, eternal life, nirvana, uh, salvation, whatever it is they may call it. Religion focuses on what man must do to reach God. The Bible speaks about what God has done to reach man. So we saw in Romans 3.28, we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Then he goes on to say in chapter 4, which shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, works being the things that we try to do to earn God's favor, he says if in fact if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now you might say, well, what does that mean? Well, picture you're at home getting the bills ready and you're writing checks out for your bills and there's a credit card statement and you look at it and you say, I don't think I got enough money for that. So I go to my wife and I say, hey, I got this credit card bill, but I, I don't have enough to pay it. And she says, well, leave me the bill. I'll take care of it. A few days later, I go online, I look at my account, and I see that a payment was credited in my name on my account by somebody else. That's like what God does for us when, he approach him, when we approach him in faith. He says, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. 
Every week or every two weeks, however often you get a paycheck, it's not because the boss is generous. And let me give you a check. You've earned it. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Have you ever felt, I'm not good enough? You're right. None of us are good enough. How can we be saved? How can we enter into a relationship with God? Remember Romans chapter 3, verse 28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Bad idea number one says if you're good, you go to heaven. You really cannot be saved by being good. And if you're trusting in that, you're going to be lost. Which brings us to bad idea Number two, bad idea number two says you just have to have faith. It doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere. But that's not truth. Faith is only as good as its object. Do you remember the movie The Titanic? It came out a few years ago. Seen in the movie, front of the boat, there's Kate Winslet, and it's dark, and she's got her hands there. There's the water down there, and she's going like this, and there's Leonardo DiCaprio holding on to her so she doesn't fall over. Fictional story, but the Titanic was a true story about a boat that was believed to be unsinkable. 2,200, approximately 2,200 people were on that boat, and before it set sail, the owners put out the word, this boat is unsinkable. Not even God could sink the Titanic. Well, if a boat is unsinkable, you don't need lifeboats, right? They're just dead weight. So they only had enough boats for 700 people. The Titanic made it halfway across on its first trip. It hit an iceberg and within minutes sunk. And that night, over 1,500 people died. They had faith. They were sincere. But the object of their faith was weak. Titanic could not deliver what they needed. They thought it was unsinkable. And in their sincerity, they trusted. And they died. Abraham's faith was not in himself. It was not in a man anybody's ability, Abraham's faith was in the promises of God. It says, <clears throat> against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Now get this. Sarah was a good-looking woman. When she was 65, all the guys still thought she's one of the hottest numbers in town. But she couldn't have kids. When she was 20 years old, she couldn't have kids. When she's 65, God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Sarah's laughing. I mean, that's ridiculous. Now she's 90 years old. You ever go to the grocery store and you're in the check stand line and you look up, there's those newspapers, weekly world news, President Biden to meet with aliens from outer space to discuss the economy. Say, no, I don't, I don't think so. 
90-year-old woman and 100-year-old man have a son. No, that does not happen. And yet, Abraham believed what God said. And at the end it says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Being fully persuaded. That's faith. He believed God and he says, God doesn't lie. God keeps his promises. I don't know how this is going to work. But if God says you're going to have a son, then I believe it. Abraham's faith was sincere, but what saved him was the object of his faith. He had faith in the promises of God. So bad idea number two, you just have to have faith. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, it does matter what you believe. Sincerity will not save you. Which brings us to our third bad idea. That sounds good. Bad idea number three. Faith means blind faith and is against reason. But God requires blind faith. I was talking to Pastor Matt this week and he made a point. He says it is logical to believe in God. And yet people think we have to have blind faith. That's Christians. Years ago there was a man in college going to law school. And he met a group of Christians. They became friends. And one day he said, you know, he says, you guys are really nice people, but I just don't get it. You seem intelligent. How could you take your brain and put it on a shelf and believe in God? He thought you needed blind faith. But it's not blind faith. You know, mankind is hardwired in our DNA and our deepest beings for certain things. We're hardwired for salt. Now, most of the time, we have too much salt. And yet, I've seen people that just smother that salt on. We need salt to live. We're hardwired for that desire. We're hardwired for one of my favorite ones, sugar. Doesn't matter the form. As long as there's a lot, I'm happy. Okay? We're hardwired for sugar, so it's not my fault. The last thing I really have a hard time with, because I really do enjoy, we're hardwired for fat. You ever notice that the best foods are always fattening? We can put a man on the moon, but we can't invent food that's great and isn't fattening. And so it's a constant struggle. Sometimes I win. We are also hardwired in our deepest being for a belief in God. Did you know that? Anthropologists, social scientists have studied Cultures, primitive peoples, sophisticated peoples, all the way back thousands of years, and they have never found an atheistic culture. Some cultures may say, the sun is God. And others may say, no, a man is God. Some say, a woman is God. And then the Hindus, uh, they've got three million plus gods. But every culture, every people has a belief in a higher being the reason for that is because God has written it on our hearts. A real atheist is actually very uncommon. People say, well, I'm an atheist. Usually it's because they're mad at God or they're breaking one of God's moral laws. My older brother was running with some Christians and he loved to do dope. And it uh, didn't matter what kind, he loved it all. And they said, you cannot walk with God and do drugs. And he says, you're right. 
And he turned his back on God and walked away. Don't you believe in God? Nope, there is no God. But I sure enjoy marijuana or whatever else it might be. Real atheists are usually mad at God or they're enjoying something or doing something that breaks God's moral laws. Abraham had faith, but it wasn't blind faith. His was a belief in the promises of God and that God was able to do what he had promised. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And again, being fully persuaded, that's faith. Because he trusted in God, God saved him on the basis of that faith. It was not blind faith. You know, close your eyes and take a leap and hopefully you won't kill yourself. That's not biblical. He believed that if God could give him a kid when he's 100 years old, then surely this God would fulfill his promise to save Abraham. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised our Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. Today's culture will say, no, it's, you've got to have blind faith. But that's not what the scripture says. So we have seen three bad ideas that are very common today, and I've held on to them myself. Any one of which can cause you to go down a bad road and to be shipwrecked, to be lost for all eternity. The first idea, can you be saved by being good? It's impossible. That's like driving down the street and running a red light, and then you stop twice at the next one to make up for it. You hope you don't get a ticket. It doesn't work that way. You can't be saved by being good. The second one, just being sincere and having faith is all that matters. That's not correct. Your faith is only as good as the object of faith. The third one, God requires blind faith. That's an outright lie. God doesn't require blind faith. What is the conclusion of faith then? What is the result? Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. What is the conclusion of faith? The conclusion of faith is peace with God. I mentioned earlier that all religions, all different faiths, besides a knowledge that there is God engraved on our hearts, people understand regardless of where you come from, regardless of the culture, people understand I am not what I should be. The Bible says that we're sinners. You make a mistake and somebody jumps on you. Hey, nobody's perfect. Or I'm only human. I tried my best. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. We all are aware of that. And as long as I'm with everybody else and we're all aware of that, we're okay. But if you stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God, that's really scary. God's standard is perfection. 
I broke that standard long before I was old enough to walk. A long time ago. You're either trusting in yourself and your good works and what you can do, or you're trusting in the one that sent his son to die for you. And he said, if you believe me, I'll forgive you and I'll save you. Just like that credit card bill, I'm going to apply righteousness to your account. Not based upon what I do, in spite of what I do. One man said, I used to have an inferiority complex. And then the Lord showed me one day, there's nothing complex about it. I was inferior. But Jesus made me superior. He says, since we've been justified by faith, first we have peace with God. I don't have to impress God by being good. I just love him. And I find when I love him, I want to please him. I want to do the the things that he approves of because I care about him. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. What are you standing in? In your own good works? The things that you do? The things that you've accomplished? If that's what you're trusting in, you're walking down a bad road. It leads to a dead end. I was on that road, and I know. But if you turn to Christ, trust in him to save you, he will cleanse you of the things you've done wrong. He will forgive you, and on the basis of your faith, he'll save you. And the cool thing is, a byproduct, when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us to live. He begins to change us. He enables us to do things that we could never do in ourselves. I know a lady that used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day and gave her heart to Christ, and just like that, it was gone. Now, later, she struggled with other things, and she says, well, why can't God just take it away? Well, the Lord is trying to teach her to walk by faith. But the Holy Spirit comes inside. He begins to change us. He empowers us to be what we should be. Jesus didn't come to reform the old life. Jesus came to give a new life. And that's what he promises. What is the conclusion of faith? The conclusion is peace with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you in Jesus' name and I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that you love us. That you didn't save us on the basis of who we are. Or that we came from the right family or that we look good. That it wasn't any of those things. But that you saved us because you chose to love us. And we couldn't pay the price. And so you paid it. And you offered as a gift. Lord, I'm so grateful for that. Because I try to be good and I don't always succeed. And yet you still love me and you're still merciful. Lord, I pray that if there is a believer here today that struggles like I did, show them the truth that they may walk in peace before you. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you, 
Lord, show them that it's not a religious idea. It's not a philosophy or turning over a new leaf like on New Year's Eve when we make all these promises. But it's right. It's entering into a relationship with you, the living God, the one who made us and who made us with a purpose that we might walk with you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to have the opportunity now to respond in song to the word that we have received this morning. So we'd love to invite you one more time to stand in body or in spirit. And let's respond in worship to our God whose goodness is relentlessly coming after us. Let's lift our voices together. This is 
Thank you so much for worshiping together with us this morning. We pray now that you go in faith and the assurance that God's goodness is coming after you. And I promise you, you cannot get away from it. Go in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week in him. And we'll see you next Sunday.